Greetings, Arlington. Welcome to Grace in 30 live on WERALP Arlington 96.7 FM. My name is Ed Malik, and I'm joined by my co-host Sal Dietrich. Sal, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing great, Ed. Fantastic, my friend. My brother, we, we are privileged tonight to be joined by Larry Thompson, a lieutenant in the Arlington Fire Department who answered the call to go to Haiti back in 2012 and serve earthquake victims. He's since formed a foundation called the Least of These Foundation that feeds and educates 240 children on an island just off the coast of Haiti. His story is a, an example of the impact a regular guy can have when honoring his or her call and simply determining not to give up. You know, before we dive in, I know there are many firefighters and community members listening tonight. If you have a question or comment for Larry, post them on Twitter at Grayson30 and we'll try to get to them during the show. Also, a quick reminder of the call to action from last week's guest. We hosted John Brown from Career Confidence, an all-volunteer organization that provides free expert job search services to thousands of job seekers in the Northern Virginia area. They've been doing this for six years. Uh, John encouraged job seekers not to give up hope, and he encouraged people to stop by Career Confidence in Tyson's Corner or Rockville some Saturdays for free seminars on a host of job search topics and some good old-fashioned encouragement. You can find out more at www.career-confidence.org or you can go to our Grayson 30 Facebook page. As Sal mentioned, we are joined today by Lieutenant Larry Thompson, a 29-year veteran of the Arlington Fire Department who felt called to go to Haiti following the 2010 earthquake. He was soon drawn to the island of Laganav, also known as the Forgotten Island, where he's been working with children in the town of Port de Bonheur. He's been down to Haiti 12 times, including that first trip in 2012, and I can tell you from meeting him last week that he's a man who derives a great sense of joy and fulfillment from this work, so it's an honor to have him on the program. Larry, welcome to Grace and 30. Uh, thanks for having me on, guys. I'm, it's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, thanks. It's great to have you on, Larry. I really appreciate your time. This is a great show. Uh, look, um, you know, when Ed and I met with you, we were just really overwhelmed with, with the time we spent with you and, and your mission in Haiti. T tell us, you know, how did you first feel drawn to go down there to Haiti? Well, I had been on uh, mission trips in Appalachian Mountains, and, um, and, it, and I got such a, a sense of uh, uh, that I was really doing something good. And um, I feel like that God was calling me to do more, you know, to to step out of my comfort zone and do more and so you know i was praying about it and i was reading the bible and you know when um when i'm praying i'm i'm talking to god but when i'm reading the bible he's talking to me and he was telling me hey uh larry i, I want you to go to haiti so uh you know it, i really wasn't convinced so much early but you know because I, I was kind of hard-headed and you know and i didn't want to come out of my comfort zone but uh man um i just kept reading the bible and he kept telling me and finally i just gave in and went so, so what happened to you on that first night when you went down there? Well, the first night, uh, we, we was working in a, um, a village right outside of Port-au-Prince and croix de Bouquet, and uh, we were sleeping in a school, didn't have any doors, sleeping on the floor, and um, when the sun goes down in Haiti, it gets dark. There's no lights, no electricity in most of Haiti, so we were, uh, I, I was in there sleeping, and, and crowds started gathering, started getting really loud, and uh, I started getting scared because... We had heard uh, about a month prior to us going there that a team of missionaries had come and um, were held up, and, and a couple of them were shot. So I had that in the back of my mind as well. I was laying there, and I didn't know what was going on. I didn't speak their language. I didn't understand, but uh, I, I, I was scared, and um, I, I've 
got on my knees several times that night and uh, uh I, I was really happy to see the sun come up the next morning <laughs> <laughs> so, so I, I understand that at the end of the trip it was a 10-day trip correct yes correct so, so how did you feel by the end of the trip um at the end of the trip i, I was emotionally um um devastated really i had never seen poverty and smelled poverty to that magnitude so it took me a long time to uh, to really uh, absorb what I had seen there, and you know I, I didn't know exactly what I wanted to do. I just knew I needed to go back. And what was the thing that that stood out the most uh, during the trip that really compelled you to come back again? Well, it, you know the overall poverty of Haiti. It's it's the poorest country in the Western Hemisphere, and it doesn't take you long to to, to see that when you get there, but. Um, uh, on, on a first trip there, there was a, a little boy that showed up. His name was Lionel. And um, there's a whole truckload of gravel. And we was building a church um, as a result of the earthquake. It had collapsed. So we were working on the church. And, and uh, we was carrying buckets and buckets of gravel. And all of a sudden, Lionel showed up. And he uh, started filling all our buckets up. And it, this, this little boy was like 12 years old weighed like 50 pounds he had two, di two different flip-flops on shorts were three sizes too big his shirt was ripped torn inside out and he was just shoveling these buckets of gravel uh for us and he shoveled that whole truckload that day and we got to know Leon now we learned that he's 12 years old and his mother and father were both uh dead and he was an orphan at age 12 sleeping under uh, a tarp on the ground. Yeah, I don't think people realize how many people were killed in that Haitian earthquake, something around 300,000 by some estimates. So, you know, there were a number of these sort of children, orphans almost, just surviving there in Haiti. Yeah, and they, they were on their own. He was always asking for food, always hungry. And, uh, you know, I can't imagine being 12 years old and being on your own. So, so did you see him again when you went down on subsequent trips? Yeah, I did go back and try to find him again. You know, while we were there, you know, we tried to take care of him the best we could. We fed him and we got him some clothes and, and we even ended up uh, putting him in his school as well. And I went back a year later and I seen him. Uh, so we got to talk and then uh, I went back again another time and um, uh, I, I couldn't find him. They said he had left the area. So I haven't seen him since. Oh. So, so he clearly left a big impression on you. Was he probably one of the, the things that really drew you to come back again? Yeah, absolutely. You know, what I came to realize after I got back was that there were, there's hundreds of thousands of kids like Lionel in Haiti, uh, or even worse. So um, it just, you know, I just said, wait, I got to do something. You know, I got to do something. Yep. So, so you got drawn to the Forgotten Island. And I, I'm curious how that island got its name, and, and what was the story? How did you first go to that island off the coast of Port-au-Prince? Well, I, uh, a lot of Haitians call it the Forgotten Island. I got invited to go to Laguanoff to um, look at some other mission possibilities. Most of them were construction. And um, so I went, and um, I, I later found out. I did some research before I went this time. I, I didn't have a clue about Haiti the first time I went, so I did some research, and and um, uh, one of the authors said that, uh, you know, Laguanoff is, is an island of 300 square miles. And that's where they sent a lot of the diseased, the, the, the cripples, they call them, the, the widows. And um, 
that what they call the undesirables. And he said that it's where you can find what the Bible calls the least of these. Now, so, so what sort of unique challenges does that being on that island pose to you? Well, uh, when I first went there, I, I told my friend's interpreter there, Patrick, I said, uh, Patrick, uh, we're going on a mission to Lagunov. And he said, Lagunov, uh, wow, you, you really want to go on a mission. So <laughs> when a Haitian tells you that, uh, you get a little nervous. <laughs> but... Uh, uh, you know, we, it, 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 it's, uh, it's a difficult mission. It's, it's a, it's a three-hour boat ride over there um, to get to uh, Port of Manure. And uh, that's a challenge. We, we've, we've had some rough seas before, and we got wet many times, and then sometimes it's calm. So there's challenges over there. There's no electricity. There's no running water, no drinkable water. The, the people there in the village, they, they uh, collect their water in a cistern and, uh, from the roof of the school, and that's what they drank. Yeah, I was reading an article online, and it said that there were three ways to get to the island. One was a speedboat, the other was a sort of a steel ferry, and then the other was these wooden sailboats. And and which one do you use? Uh, the, the sailboat. That's that's what we travel on. Yes. And so it takes a little while to get over there. Oh yeah, three hours. It's uh, it's a long trip, but. Uh yeah, I read it was 13 miles and three hours to do that. Yeah, so. that, that's true. Yeah, we 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 uh, sail out of Maraguan. Wow. Um, you know, when we met with you, you, you told us uh, about another child that really had an impact you. T- tell us about, about Jonica and, and when you met her and, and how some of the things you folks were doing with her helped her. Well, um, we had went to, to Port of Manure and, and we decided to, to start this mission, feeding the kids and, and, and get them in school. Only half the kids in that village were actually even going to school. The teachers hadn't been paid for two years. And, and the kids were all hungry. And so when we went there, um, I remember um, we was going to take pictures of all the kids. And then we was going to you know, get to gather some information. And I remember Jonica, uh, I was positioning her against the wall. So I put my hand on her shoulder. And I just remember it was like an inch wide. And it was just, just bones. And mm-hmm. her hair was orange uh, from malnutrition. And and she uh, she had sores in the corners of her mouth and her, and her skin. I later learned her skin. She was losing her pigmentation. She was actually turning a lighter uh, shade of brown. And so when uh, I went back, uh, uh, three months later, I went back and we had started sending money for for the school lunches and and uh, and I was. Uh, I was in there negotiating with a carpenter about building more benches because we only planned on 100 kids being there. And we ended up with uh, 240 that showed up because they just wanted the lunch more than anything. So immediately, you know, it was a budget crisis because, you know, I had not one sponsor. And so me and my wife, man, we just we just said, we know we're going to step out in faith here and do this. You know, and, uh, God's work done God's way will not lack God's supply and so everything hinged on the promises of God that we could do this so you know I'm negotiating because we got all these kids now and they're sitting on the floor so I you know we need to get furniture and I'm, I'm in this negotiation everything's a negotiation down there in Haiti when you're trying to get work done and and so I was nervous about uh, being able to pay the, the bills down there and and I told Mrs. Louiseman, the principal, I said, uh, Mr. Louiseman, go get Jonica. I want to tell her my dad is going to sponsor her. And so I uh, uh, walked out of the, 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 the school, the classroom there, and, and Mr. Louiseman was standing there. I said, Mr. Louiseman, go get Jonica. She said, this is Jonica. And I looked at the girl. I said, no, I need to get Jonica. And uh, she said, uh, 
this is Jonica. So I showed her the name. I said, see, this is her. This is the, the girl I need. And she says, this is her. And I looked at her, and I said, Jonica? She said, she shook her head, yeah. And I knew right then that that's where I was supposed to be serving, right there. If it wasn't every dime that I spent, you know, every um, ounce of worrying I did, everything was worth it when I seen her. Her skin was black again. Her hair was black again. She had put on weight. And I, did, I said, this is remarkable. One meal a day did this. And there was more kids, not just Jonica, in the same situation. And that's in just three months. That's just three months, yes, of hot beans and rice, cornmeal and spinach once a day. Wow. So Miss Louiseman is someone you've mentioned to us a few times. It, 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 tell us a, a, just in a minute about her and a little bit about what that school was like. I mean, you've talked about adding benches and sort of setting up this hot meal program and getting the teachers paid, but tell us a little bit about Miss Louiseman and, and you know how you've come to know her and, and, and her role in this whole thing. Yeah, I, I, was, uh, I met Miss Louiseman the first time I went there. Uh, the school uh, needed a new roof, so my wife and I and my brother and our children went down there and and we paid for the roof to be put on the school and, and we had learned that the teachers hadn't been paid for two years. Um, this, most of the schools down there, 90 percent of them, are um, either church um, affiliate or um, uh, NGO, so um, they just wasn't getting paid. Uh, they, there was no money. So um, I talked to Miss Louiseman and Mr. Wiesman uh, was very happy that we wanted to get involved, and she is the one down there that really makes it all happen. You know, we I go down four times a year, and I communicate with her, but uh, we've really built a trust, and and it, it's hard to have accountability in Haiti, and but she has really done well. She's taken not even, you know, we're not really sending enough money, but she makes it work. Um, to feed these kids and I know they're all getting fed because uh, I get word back that they are all getting fed There's there's a family there that that uh, speaks English that contacts me said uh, you know that yeah These kids are getting fed man, and everybody's happy here And it's a ripple effect too because these teachers now are getting salary They can buy fish from the fishermen. They can buy charcoal from the charcoal maker You know, it's, and, and it's really lifted the whole village. That's great. That, that's uh, amazing and you know it, It's interesting people say well uh, can I make a difference? And the answer is yes. Yeah, you can save a child's life like Jonica. You can make a huge difference. Um, look, we're going to give Larry a second here to, to uh, take a breath. We're going to do a show identification and come right back. You're listening to Grace in 30 on WERALP Arlington 96.7 FM. We're talking to Larry Thompson, a lieutenant in the Arlington Fire Department, who in his spare time has formed a nonprofit called the Least of These Foundation that feeds and educates children in Haiti. Larry, last week you, you mentioned uh, there are a significant number of child slaves in Haiti. And uh, have you been able to help any of them? And maybe give us a little background on, on what the situation is with child slavery in, in the country. Yeah, there's, uh, they're referred to as restifix, which means to stay with. And what happens in Haiti is, is parents cannot afford their kids. I know it's kind of hard to believe, but it happens, and, and they can't feed them. So they end up finding a host family for the, for the kids, and they're, they're, they're usually adolescent age. And uh, they, uh, 
uh, end up going to this host family, and they ended up being um, a slave to that family. They end up being doing all the chores. They don't get fed as much as they should. They're sleeping, uh, like I said, on the floor. They're getting water. They have to do all the chores, do the dishes. They don't get the opportunity to go to school. And um, so I was I was made aware of this um, after reading a book called uh, Miracle on Voodoo Mountain by Megan Boudreaux. And um, so when I went back to the village, I asked Miss Louiseman, Miss Louiseman, do you have any rest of it here? And she said, yes, we have many. And I told her, I said, well, you go find those rest of and you talk to their host family and you tell them that we will feed their kids and put them in school if they would just let them go. And Mrs. Louiseman uh, has, uh, has 10 kids now that were rest of it, that are that are in the school. And, you know, it, that's a start. There's more to do with that. But um, that is that's a huge difference in getting these kids out of this. Uh, slavery where they, they they just don't have a chance in life if, if you if you can't get them out of this uh, this rest of situation they're in how many slave children are there in the country there's uh, estimated three to five hundred thousand yeah yeah that's incredible uh, what sort of things have you done uh, you know with the kids to ensure that everybody uh, you know is treated equally and and feels the same in the school you talked about how some of these kids are kids are rest of uh, you know the hot meal, the the uniform. What are, what are some things that are going on there in the school? Well, one thing that we knew when we went into this uh, mission and we began is that you know if I had ten sponsors, I just couldn't feed ten kids and send ten kids to school. So we knew that we had to go all in. And so my wife and I, you know, we we worked extra jobs and scraped up enough money to be able to send down there so every one of those kids that wanted to go to school could go to school and um, get fed every day Um, you know you can just look at the kids and know they're getting fed but I also know that uh, you know I have a friend down there that calls me on a regular basis to, to let me know what's what's going on in the village and you know all the teachers know exactly how much they're getting paid so that they're they're counting on that every month so Every bit of the money we send down there is getting used. Uh, so uh, Mrs. Mrs. Louisman has a lot to do with making sure all that happens. And you mentioned they get a daily scripture lesson as well. Oh, yeah. Um, every Monday they get a scripture lesson from uh, uh, the local pastor there. And then also throughout the week they'll have scripture lessons. And, you know, the school is one place where we can collectively, you know, we can get the kids together, we can educate them, we can feed them. And then they can get the scripture lesson. So it was it was ideal that we did it in the school. You know, you, you told us a story about going back one year and you were expecting to see a hundred kids there, and there were there were quite a bit more. Tell us tell us that story again. Well, you know, I showed up in September. And they asked me to come down and you know we'd do a grand opening, and you know I had no idea. I showed up and I said, man, sure like sure looks like more than just a hundred kids here, and. Uh, yeah, she said, yeah, they're, they're, they're coming from all over, you know, and I knew that we didn't have enough money to buy the lunch for all these kids, you know, it's, and uh, so, you know, I, there's no way you can turn them away. You know, I told Miss Louise, man, you have to be the police of this, you know, I, I, I don't know. And so kids were walking a long distance, and they still do, to, to come to that school, and it, it's at full capacity. In fact, we have classrooms in the church because we just don't have room for them all. So um, it, it, it's a good problem, and we're happy about it, and, and we're just going to continue to just continue to do it 
you know. With so it's about 240 kids. Yes. And and you're feeding each one of them yes. each day yes. and educating them. Yes. Which, yeah. which is incredible, Ed, because when you think about it, that's bigger than some private schools here in Arlington County mm-hmm. where we have everything. Yeah. I thought about that the other day. I thought 240 children is bigger than many parochial schools in Arlington County, Virginia. And just to put a size on the magnitude of what Lieutenant Thompson is taking on here along with Miss Louiseman. I mean, this is incredible. So you recently finished setting up uh, 501c3. Yes. And you called it uh, the Least of These Foundation. Can you give us a, a, an explanation for the name of the foundation? Yeah, you know, I, I told you earlier that the, the author called it, uh, you know, the island's the place where you could find the least of these that the Bible's talking about. But also in Matthew twenty five forty, where uh, Jesus says, um, the, the, the king replied, um, uh, Whenever you did it for the least of these. Whatever you do for the least of these, brothers and sisters of mine, you do for me. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I just love that verse because Jesus wants us to treat everybody as if it was him. And I, I think about that, and I said that this is this is the perfect name for this foundation because so many of those people over there are forgotten, and 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 they are the least of these that Jesus is talking about, the the people that nobody else cares about. Yep. So so, what do you want the listeners to know about the people in Haiti? You know, I think people have a, a myth misperception that. Um, Poor people are lazy, and I can tell you that's not the case in Haiti. Those people want to work. They're looking for jobs. You know, I've heard the island has 90% unemployment, and I can tell you 90% are trying to get a job. And if they don't work, they don't eat. And and that makes people get, get out and look for jobs. And Everybody's their own entrepreneur in Haiti. You can drive down the street and everybody is selling, you know, fruit or making food or washing windows or selling uh, water or something to make a living. Um, so they're, they're a great people that love to work. They're gracious. And um, I, I, I just love going down there and I love them. Well, you know, I, I'd consider you an entrepreneur for good. I mean, here, here you are, you, you, no red tape, no real big organization behind you, and yet you just got this done. I mean, it's really incredible, and it, it's inspiring. I guess, you know, what we'd ask is that call to action for our listeners. You know, wh- what would you tell people who may want to get involved in something like what you're doing? Because uh, you've expressed interest in wanting to ex- you know, people come to you and say, hey, I'd like to ex- you expand. I'd like you to get into farming or something else. And you've said, look, I- I've just got to do this school really well, which uh, you got to honor that and appreciate that. But, but you know, any advice for people listening who may, may have this, this urge now to go to Haiti and, and try and do something themselves? Well, you know, I, I look at it as, you know, if, if I look at Haiti's problems on a large scale, um, I, I would feel defeated. But I look at it as one child. Just Jonica, you know, just Cindy, just one kid at a time. And then it puts things in perspective that, hey, I can make a difference. I can make a difference in a kid's life. What we're doing over there is not only life-changing, it's life-saving. And um, we're going to continue to do it. We're going to continue to focus on the school. We don't want to stretch your resources so thin that, that we start 
um, getting sloppy and, and, and not fulfilling what we actually come there to do. And that's, that's feed these kids and get them educated. Give them a chance to have a future. And it, it all starts with, with, with the education and the immediate need is, is definitely the food, the lunch that we feed them. Now, you have a website, uh, correct? Yes, it's called uh, theleastofthesehaiti.com, and you can go on there, and you can uh, read a lot about what we've talked about, and you can also go on there and contribute. You can sponsor children and uh, make donations. There's no water there, like I mentioned, so we want to drill a well, and we want to expand the school to, to allow the kids to stay there instead of going to the mainland in the seventh grade. So um, there's a lot of things we'd like to do, and, and we, really, we really need help. You can go on and feed children, but everything you give, 100% goes there. Uh, we, don't hold, we don't have any administrative fees. We just want people to know that when you give money, that it's going to go to Haiti. 100% of it's going to go to those kids and feed those kids and, and, and help out with the school. So when is your next trip down, and what are your plans when you get there? Well, I, I plan on going back in the summer, and it, they, they want to learn English. You know, I'm not an English teacher. Like I'm just an ordinary guy, but I'm going to go down there and and, and I'm going to we're going to work on English and and we have plans in in September to hire a Haitian that speaks English to teach the kids English. Now that's just an, that's just another avenue for them to to get off the island and and get jobs. And uh, so so that's that's what we're going to do. Is go there and, and, and teach English. You know what I love about what you're saying, and again, just building on this idea of being a startup for good. You know, a lot of people would say, "Well, you can't make a difference," but but step by step, you've taken this from feeding children, educating children, now to expanding the program to maybe go to the ninth grade. Now you're talking about building relationships with with high schools on the island. Pretty soon, I see these kids going to college, and again, because you never really gave up, you never let anything say. I can't do that. And you know, to our listeners, look, maybe you work for a, a big firm downtown, but maybe you grew up on a farm and you said, geez, my dad and I could, we could start helping people be, grow, become rice farmers or peanut farmers in Haiti. It's possible if you follow a plan like Larry, he just never really gave up and just keeps pushing ahead and, and good things are happening to people down there every day. So, so you mentioned you took your wife and daughter with you. On some of the trips and I, I know some people would think of Haiti and taking people down and be worried about safety concerns um, how, how did those trips go and how did they fare well uh, the first time I went when I was working outside of Port-au-Prince uh, you know I, I wouldn't take them back there uh, but you know when I went to the island it's just, it's just a, a kind gentle people they're really welcoming they, they really appreciate you being there and you know we walked through the village you know my daughter walks through the village you know she was 15 14 years old she's walking through the village and um people are waving you know we go down and go swimming and they all go with us and uh i just feel extremely safe there and it's uh i just love going there and i'm not afraid to to take uh take anybody there yeah if people have ideas and they want to sort of start their own thing in haiti they can certainly reach out to you and as as an advisor in some ways right i mean you're open to that yeah absolutely you know and, and i'll be willing to take people down with me to go on a mission trip if you want to go if you're a sponsor and you want to see your kid hey you know let's go we'll go to see them you know you can see actually with your own eyes what's what's going on you know and some of the sponsors i tell them i say you know i get all the benefit of seeing the smiles on these kids face when i come and tell them hey you got a sponsor you know, and I'll videotape it and send it back to the sponsor so they get to see it, 
and everything. But that uh, you know, the people are incredible, uh, incredibly nice to us down there. Mrs. Louiseman actually, we, you know, we sleep in her house. She's got a cinder block house, and she sleeps on the porch out front. No, oh, wow, that's really nice. Yeah. You got about twenty seconds. Yeah. Anything you want to say to close? Sure. You know, if if you would like to help, you know, you can go on the website. You can contact me. Just go on the website, hit the contact, and uh, send me an email. Send me your phone number, whatever. I'd love to talk to you. And I just want to say, you know, everybody can make a difference. You know, I, I was just I'm just an ordinary guy that just said, you know, I'm going to go out and do something. You know, and, and and I did it. I can't believe that we're at this point. You know, I never would have thought we would be this far along in just a few months. Yeah, Barry, look, uh, we're going to wrap up. Thank you so much for coming on the show. We, we appreciate it. Um, we want you to come back and join us again because Ed and I want to keep this conversation about Haiti going on. You know, you know, I grew up in a fireman family, yeah, yeah. so I, I appreciate everything you're doing for us here in yeah. Arlington County every day, my friend. Um, for our listeners, feel free to visit Larry's website at www.leastofthesehaiti.com. We're going to be posting information about his organization on Twitter at Grayson30, on our Facebook page at Grayson30. A replay of the show can be found on WERA's website 24 hours after the show. If you want to provide Ed and I some feedback or work through us to get in touch with Larry, you can email us at gracein30 at gmail.com. Next week, we'll be hosting Darlene Baki from Borromeo Housing. It's an Arlington nonprofit that runs a two-year education, housing, and life skills development program for homeless young mothers ages 16 to 22 and their babies. If you'd like more information before that broadcast, go to borromeohousing.org. That's B-O-R-R-O-M-E-O housing.org. This is Ed and Sal signing off from Grace and 30 on WERALP Arlington 96.7 FM. Have a great night and be sure to tune in to Grace. Good night.